It is good to have him home for a weekend. We send him back today, so pray safe travels. Uh, but yes, we are. And hopefully you have too. Hopefully you've been blessed to be able to be with, with family and, and friends. You know, family comes in a lot of different um, relationships. Sometimes that's biological. Sometimes it's the family of, of dearest friends and, and connections and community. So I pray that you've had a, uh, a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving week. And um, we, I tried to do something this morning. I wanted to bring healing and unity, and it didn't work very well. I asked in the first service, I don't know how it would work here. I asked, how many of you guys are Ohio State people? How many of you are Ohio State? Okay. How many of you are Michigan Wolverines? I want you guys to sit together. Can we bring you together today? It's funny. We're in Florida. You think I would do Florida, Florida State. That would actually be another one, too. But so many of you are, are transplants. You bring those loyalties down. And I always joke um, that I can tell, especially after rivalry game, who's, the, who's happy on that day because they're all wearing their colors. All the red. The Ohio State was out today. I didn't see a whole lot of Michigan blue today. But, um, but then we were just kind of having some fun with that and hope, hope it's been a... Uh, been a, a good week for you. This, uh, I touched a nerve last week. Um, clearly, if you were here for the sermon when I talked about, uh, I kind of railed, and I say railed um, in jest, but, but I kind of railed against the uh, early Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. And uh, some of you reached out and sent me notes of thank you. We appreciate that. We're with you. Some of you, not so much. And uh, I got pictures. I got text messages of people and pictures of their Christmas trees and their family portraits around the Christmas tree before Thanksgiving just to kind of let me know that um, uh, there wasn't universal agreement with my point. Uh, the other thing I got people letting me know, texting me of all things, the Hallmark Channel schedule. <laughs> Including family. I didn't need that, but thank you anyway. But I'm glad... I'm, I'm glad uh, it connected on some level, even if you don't necessarily agree. I, I called my brother because he had decorated his Christmas stuff before Thanksgiving. And I, told, I called him a sellout. I said, you've sold out the family name. And uh, he didn't care either. So um, <laughs> I don't know how much, if you're aware, but just in case you're not, uh, today is the last Sunday of the year. Did you know that? You know that today's the last Sunday of the year? You're waiting to see where I'm going with this, I know, some of you. It is. It is not obviously the last Sunday of the, the calendar year in the, um, the Gregorian calendar that we follow, but it is the last Sunday in the Christian calendar. This is Christ the King Sunday. And this ends the liturgical calendar next week with Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, even though John did get ahead of us there, but, you know, snuck in that Christmas song. But, but with the beginning of Advent, with the lighting of the Advent wreath next week, with the, the first Sunday, we begin the first Sunday of the Christian calendar that moves through the events of, um, or largely through the events of, of the life of Jesus, starting with the birth and then moving into Easter and that celebration and Pentecost and the days that would follow. And, and it really, the, the two... The big events of the Christian calendar, the, the central events, are the two, the, the, the bookend stories of the life of Jesus. It begins with the preparation for the celebration of Christmas. It's really not, and I've said this before, it's not 
and, and I'm just being picky, it's not the Christmas season, it's the Advent season. Christmas is the day. Advent's the season that we prepare for the celebration of Christmas. Pivotal story. And then later in the year, not much later, with, with Easter and Lent, which is the preparation for that celebration of, of the day, which is our day, which is the, the, the single most formative day in, in the Christian faith. It's the day that, that is most powerfully, powerfully defines who we are. And, and so there are two key stories, along with others, that, that, def- that, that really move us through the calendar. And it began to get me thinking a little bit about the importance of story, of, of the stories of our faith. The scriptures are full of stories. There's, they're not only stories. There is wisdom literature, the Psalms, the Proverbs. There's Paul's um, epistles, which are, are kind of theological treaties in some places, and some of his teachings. But, but so much of the story of God through the life of his people, beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation, are the stories of what God has done through the men and women of faith who have been obedient, and sometimes through those who weren't. And, and those stories are really, I think, for many of us, if not most of us, are what we identify and what we resonate with and what we connect to. Stories have a powerful way of connecting us. That's why most of what people remember about sermons, when sermons are remembered, are stories. I I learned this very powerfully um, in my first appointment as as an associate pastor serving under Dr. Tom Farmer, who was a masterful storyteller. He was great at telling stories and could weave narratives and could really uh, do that very, very powerfully and effectively, and that's what resonated. Because we would laugh sometimes as part of the church, and I say laugh good-natured, because while Tom was a wonderful storyteller, he didn't keep track of what stories he'd told. So in two years as his associate, I heard the same story two or three times. And he would do that. And we would sometimes sit around and we would joke about some of the stories that he would tell frequently. But, but the point wasn't to, to, to certainly in no way to be disrespectful to, to Dr. Farmer, But what I realized was we never did that about the theological points of his sermons. We never said, oh, yeah, you know, that second point about the the lordship of Jesus. You know, he made that point three weeks ago, or he made that point four months ago. You know, we we don't remember those. We remember the stories, the stories that connected us to points. And and I often joke and say that I I could preach the same sermon I preached three months ago, same point, same theme. If I change the stories, you will think you got a new sermon. You will think it's different. I'm not saying I've ever done that, but I'm saying <laughs> that if I did it, you'd think because, because that's what we connect to. That's what we remember. And so uh, that, that frame of thought or that, that thought process brings me to the scripture this morning. Just a few verses in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses' farewell discourse, Moses, God speaking through Moses to prepare the people to receive the blessing, the promise that they'd been given. And the call of Deuteronomy repetitively is to be obedient, is to be faithful, to honor the, the commands of God because God wishes to bestow blessings upon his people. If, if you are obedient, you will receive the blessing that God has promised. And so these are the words that, that Moses wants resonating in the hearts of the people. And so the words that I'm reading really speak to those promises, speak to the, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, but have application across this, the, the expanse of our faith and the stories of our faith. 
So I want you to hear these words beginning again. Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning at verse 18. This is what we read. It says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Friends, sisters, we pray here God's blessing on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that we would be challenged in these moments, that the stories of our faith be more than just stories, but they truly be part of the identity of who we are. Speak to your truth. Speak your truth into our lives in these moments. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So as I read these verses again, there were two commands, if you will, that really jumped out at me. And I'm, I'm, I'm treating them in reverse order from the way they appeared in the text this morning. And, and they, they land back to the importance of, of story and the importance of faith formation and what that means for us. And, and the first is this, those words that, that, that Moses speaks, teach your children. Teach your children. The, these, these words that God has spoken, he says, these words that I speak to you, pass them down to your children. Make sure they hear the stories. Now, we know this. Children are sponges. They're, they're sponges. They, they soak up. We were sponges when we were little. That's why as, as parents, we're so intentional and so aware of the things that, especially young children, ages three, four, five, six, and seven, what they see, what they hear, what they watch, what they read, because we know how powerful those early years are and how important they are in, in our memory. Uh, we remember things, scientists tell us, and, and from our own experiences probably, you remember things sometimes more powerfully from your childhood than you do from your adulthood. How many of you remember the name of your first grade teacher? Okay, all right. Just out of curiosity, how many of you remember the name of your sixth or seventh grade teacher? Okay, a lot of hands gone out, but still more remember first grade. I don't remember. My, I mean, I remember my teachers. I Don't get me wrong. I remember them. They were wonderful teachers, but I can't pull their names. But I can tell you about Miss Park's first grade class. I remember. I remember that. I remember those experiences. I can't tell you the names of any of my friends in sixth grade. It was before I moved here. I can't necessarily pull their names. But I can tell you in my first grade class, Bobby Swanson was in that class. And Trey Anderson was in that class, and Christy Hendry was in that class, and Michelle Gatlin was in that class. These aren't people I have talked to since elementary school. But I remember, because sometimes the things that happen to us in those early years are so powerfully formative, and they stick with us. I, 765-6377. That was my phone number, first grade, living in Jacksonville. Now, before we moved here, we lived in Dade City. I had a home phone number there, too. I can't tell you three digits of that phone number anymore. 
I don't remember it at all. Do you remember it, Tony? No, I don't remember. They're, they're seeing if they can pull it up. Okay, they're not. <laughs> 25 East 59th Street. That was my address growing up in Jacksonville. I know we lived on Amberlea. That's it. I can't remember the house number. Now, maybe that's just because I have a bad memory. Maybe you're sitting there going, really? But that's true. But I can pull these things from childhood. The point is, the point is we know how formative those years are. The best time to learn a foreign language is when? When you're a child. Yeah. It is humbling when you go uh, around the world and you see kids that are speaking three and four languages. You know, most of us can't master one, or a lot of us, not most of us, a lot of us can't master one. Because, again, so music and math, same kind of thing. I mean, there's a lot of things that are real formative. So, so when God says, teach your children, he, he, he gives this command because the Lord knows how important those early years are, that, that, that we soak things up and, and that, they, that, that children be filled with, with the Word of God, the teachings of God, the story of God. So many of the stories that I still resonate, that, that are some of my favorites in the scriptures are the stories I remember learning as a child in Sunday school or in little readers that I had. You know, we don't give children books on theological talking points. We give them stories because the story shapes us. And it continues to shape us. And, and we know that children are going to be filled with something. And we have a choice and we have an impact as adults on what that is. And sometimes we make mistakes. I have made mistakes in that area over the years. And, and I will tell you, one of the most powerful lessons I ever learned um, was when Ryan was four years old. Ryan was, was four. We were out running errands. I don't know what we were doing. But Ryan was in the back seat. He was in, the, in, in his car seat. And I'm flipping through the radio. And I flipped to a channel, and it was a song I'd remembered from my youth. And I'll confess to you, it was a song, so many of you that are part of my generation, it was a Beastie Boys song. <laughs> and, um, and it didn't have bad language in it per se, but it wasn't, if those of you that know, it wasn't exactly the most wholesome message. But I can remember thinking, he's not paying any attention. He's doing his own thing, so I just let the music play. That night at the dinner table, <laughs> my four-year-old son started to recite the lyrics of the Beastie Boys word for word. And the look I got from his mama <laughs> let me know that that was a mistake I had better not make twice. Because sponges, sponges, the stories that fill. So God says these stories let them begin to take root. That's, let them begin to take root. Instill them in the young. Now here's the truth for all of us. There's not an age limit on that necessity. There's not a point in which that stops. In fact, some of you are here today and you, you didn't grow up in church. You didn't grow up with these stories of faith. Does that mean your window's closed? Of course not. Of course not. We continue to, to worship. We continue to, to come together and to read stories and to read the teachings and to hear the words of God so that they will begin to take shape and shape us. Because there's no point when that ceases to be important. And that's the second point. He says, teach the children. But before that, he says, you know, fix these words of mine on your minds. I'm going to reverse the order. On your minds 
and on your hearts. Let the words begin to become familiar, to begin to take root because they impact us. We learn and we continue to be shaped by the practices of faith and the stories of our faith. I mean, we do this in theological ways. We do this in in other ways. I mean, we know that our hearts are going to be filled by something. What do we choose to be filled with? And the repetition begins to have an impact. Here's how I know the repetition has, has an impact, even if you're not aware of it. How many of you, regardless of whether you eat them or not, can tell me the ingredients of a Big Mac? What are they? To all be fatty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Right. Now, do we know that because we eat Big Macs? Hopefully, some of it, never mind. Um, (laughs) We know that because of the commercial, because of the the red. And I had people coming up after first service telling me about things that were resonating, things that they'd memorized from, you know, jingles and commercials and things. It begins to take root. Well, it's true of our faith, too. And so a couple weeks ago in the, in the 815 service, uh, I, we were doing the Apostles' Creed, and I stood up here, and I said, let us join now together in the Apostles' Creed. And as I'm looking at the screen, as you can see, I realized the Apostles' Creed wasn't popping up because we had not gotten word to John that we were doing the Apostles' Creed. I'd kind of pulled an impromptu and didn't think it through very well, and it wasn't on the screen. And so many in the congregation said, go ahead, we know it. And not everybody knows it by heart, but many did. And we did the Apostles' Creed without any words because of the consistent practice of those words of, of faith formation. And the true, you know, it's true of the Lord's Prayer, and it's true of other you know, songs of faith that begin to take root, and you begin to connect the story of your faith with that. Uh, and we, we can do this. Stories become familiar. In fact, I'll give you song titles. You tell me... Uh, you, you tell me who, who I'm talking about. You tell me what song fits with what biblical character. See how well you can recall the stories. If I said a song like, um, I have the right to sing the blues, who would that be about in the Bible? Job, exactly. How about uh, raindrops keep falling on my head? Noah, exactly. Um, let's see, twinkle, twinkle, little star. The three wise men as we're getting into Christmas. The Three Wise Men. Here's one of my favorites. This might stretch a little bit. How about uh, Great Balls of Fire? Well, okay. Yeah, it could have fit with Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not where I'm thinking, but that would fit there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are, those are my favorites. My, my point is that the, the, there are, we, could, we could do this all day with, with uh, song titles and things. That, that when the stories begin to take root... Um, they begin to shape. Now, here's the important application. We have to be careful that our faith becomes intellectual and not transformational. That the stories of our faith become uh, informational and not transformational. That's not the intention. That's why I think those words are so important that God speaks. Fix these words on your minds and on your hearts. Your heart represents the very core of who you are. The heart represents the identity. As, as Jesus says, um, you know, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, you know, very often there's your heart will be. 
the idea, it, it begins to, to identify the, the core of who we are. Does your faith move from an intellectual practice, a point where you can, where you can quote scripture, you know the stories, does it begin to shape who you are? So does the head knowledge become heart knowledge that becomes life lived out? And we have to be careful that these stories, these words, you know, the point of what, what Moses says to the people of obedience is so that you'd live into God's will and God's perfect. In other words, the evidence of your faith, the evidence of their obedience is not going to be that they can sit and recite the law. The evidence is going to be, are they obedient to the law? Are they obedient to God's word? Are they living God's love? And that's true for all of us. You, you know, the, the, the Pharisees could quote scripture. They had the information, but Jesus over and over said that they knew it by head, but his criticism was that it never began to shape the heart. Does your faith shape the heart? Does your faith begin to, to be evidenced by the way that you live? I think there's just too many of us that, um, that can quote scripture, that can tell the stories, that can make a case for why we should believe, but that don't ever allow that to get lived out in our relationships, in the way that we treat, the way that we love, the way that we care for other people. I just don't think the world's desperate for a bunch of Christians that can tell them what they should believe. I think what the world longs to see is life that gives evidence to why we should believe. And the difference that Christ makes in our lives and the way that what we know in our head becomes lived out through our hearts and through the way that we treat each other and the way that we love each other and the way that we model Christ for each other. Again, you know, you know who quoted Scripture really well in the Gospels besides the Pharisees? Satan did. In his encounter with Jesus, remember the temptation. It has been written. He knew it. And he used it to undermine faith. But the stories that we tell that shape us, the, the Scriptures that are impactful, are meant be lived out. In fact, Paul says in, Col in Colossians, first chapter, verse 9, he says, may you grow in the knowledge of God. May you grow in the knowledge of God that you may live a life worthy of God, that you would bear fruit. The challenge for me, I think for some of you, is that we need to not be a head people that can just quote it, cite it, regurgitate it. But a heart people that truly live it. And I think that will be the most powerful testimony. You may not be able to quote scripture for anything. You might get Noah, Jonah, uh, Job. You might get them mixed up every day and twice on Sunday. But if you live it, if the love of Christ is evident in you, you are more effective than somebody who can quote Genesis to Revelation. Let it be a heart shaper. May the love of Christ, the stories of our faith, the, the evidence of God's work be at work through you. And may it come through your heart in the way that you love others.
Amen? Gracious Lord, that we would be that kind of a, a heart people, that we would love you with our lives and love others with our lives, and that that would be the testimony of our faith. These stories that are so important, that do shape us and inform us and teach us who you are and who we're called to be. Lord, that we would grow in that knowledge, but that would knowledge would come action and the evidence of faith in how we live. May that be the testimony of our lives. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, Jesus was surrounded by biblically literate, learned men his whole life, Pharisees, religious teachers, um, those who, who could quote the scriptures. And yet when he chose his disciples, he chose fishermen and reformed tax collectors. It's kind of a motley crew. He was interested in more more in those who would live faith than just those who could quote it. And he'd sent them out from that table, from the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. He sent them out to be the ambassadors, to be the voices of the story of his life and the message of God's grace and salvation. That's what he does for us. We come to this table, we're filled by his presence, by his strength to go out and to live the story of faith. And so let this meal be our strength as it was theirs, as they remember and we remember the night that Jesus took bread and he gave thanks to God and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat all of you, this is my body, it is broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he gave thanks to God and he gave it to them and said, this is my blood of a new covenant. It is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, 